Hi, welcome to the Nukas Podcast. The Nukas is a network of nerds that publishes headline news about technology, entertainment, gaming, and other nerdy topics. Interviews, reviews, editorials, fan fiction, and more. I'm your host for this week, Eric Sapphire for the Nubist. Now I'm joined this week by our editor, Lindsay. Hi guys, I'm Lindsay. Uh, like Eric said, I'm the new editor and staff writer over at Nubist. Uh, I'm a lover of Marvel, DC, TV, and all things nerdy. And Andrea? Hi, I'm Andrea. I'm a guest this week. And Kevin? Oh uh, yeah, what's up? I'm Kevin. I'm also a guest. Yep. Uh, Kevin's been on here before, I'm sure, as anyone who's listened before uh, would know. And I just want to say, I just want to make an apology because we haven't had one, I guess, in two weeks. Uh, we've actually had a technical issue with our last podcast. So, yeah. But all that's out of the way. So our overview for this week would be, uh, topics would be our initial thoughts on the season two of Daredevil. Um Try not to dabble too much to, I guess, spoil territory because not all of us have seen it all or are on the same same page. Uh, I guess for next time we have a podcast, we'll talk more in depth about it. Our second topic will be on just whatever TV shows we're having to be watching now. Um, and uh, last topic will be just kind of our thoughts on yeah, the changing of race and gender of a you know portrayal of a character in, say, TV shows or movies, and a lot of controversy around that, and discuss how we feel about it. So, on to our first topic. Um, what are our initial thoughts on Season 2 of Daredevil so far? Um, oh, wow. For me, yeah, go ahead. I oh, know, it's just, yeah, I'm, it's just mind-blowing, I think. It's it's really outdone itself. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm, like... Kevin and I are only on episode four. Um, I'm going kind of super slow on it because I'm I'm the one writing the review on each episode. Yeah, and so you're doing the clever thing. I did the absolutely ridiculous thing that I told myself I would not do, and just binge watched <laughs> the fuck out of it. So uh, I've seen all of it. So I'll be really, really, really careful. No spoilers or anything like that. But um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Some things I think they did incredibly well. Uh, other things I may not have agreed with storyline wise, but they still pulled it out of the bag. And John uh, John Bernthal is absolutely amazing as the Punisher. He is fantastic, and he just absolutely made the season for me. Yeah, I I agree. I, on episode four, he really has a, an incredible performance. Um, it's probably the most in depth we've ever seen in the character development of someone like the Punisher. Oh, definitely, whom, yeah. Whom we're all just anyone who's really seen uh, live action adaptations of Punisher, we're just used to seeing the same old. I'm just really gruff and miserable, and I'm always angry, and I kill bad guys. <coughs> um, I think before this, the most the most we got was in the Thomas Jane 2004 Punisher. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot more humanity in that character. Yeah, uh, we actually got to see you know his family die, etc. Um, you know, and it's far superior in that shit like Warzone. Uh, film that was terrible with, with Ray Stevenson. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, he, you know, I was really, I was really just surprised, just you know, how much heart was given to the role by John Bernthal. Um, I haven't gotten to see Electra yet. Um, I, I have, other than the previews and you know the ending of episode four, but um, you know, I expect good things, and uh, it's just. Yeah, like you know, I mean, like like Lindsay said, a lot of things are just over. Oh, they're just outdoing themselves each time. Like the action is 
insane. The uh, yeah. the there's one part where it's a throwback to the hallway fight, but like Charlie Cox described in an interview, it's like the hallway fight on steroids. Oh god, yeah, that that's in like, that's in episode shit. four, isn't it? Uh, yeah, three, three, episode three, three. yeah. It's absolutely when I was watching that because that's exactly what I thought of. I was like, it's that it's that long hallway scene where he like throws a microwave at one of the guys <laughs> in season one and that's what it was except there's like stairs involved and i was like oh the cinematography is fantastic so yeah like my nerdy kind of film student part of me was like this is amazing so yeah there was definitely like the way the acting the directing oh my god it's all just stellar like i really can't fault it at all um in that sequence much like birdman i could there are there are instances in which you can sort of tell that there's that's happening. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's done in a really, a really cool way to make the the illusion of a one take. Yeah. Um, oh, they definitely yeah. wanted the illusion of a of a long running shot, um, and you could def- you could tell at times that it wasn't you know just one continuous shot, but it, the way the way I think it was angled and and the way you know it kind of followed the character you know down and down and down like that it, it kind of it kind of built suspense in a way because you're 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 waiting for all these bad guys to keep coming and they do and and the way the camera kind of pans around and the perspective that it's shot at is done really well so yeah um, yeah it was great yeah i think speaking of all the uh the fights like the bloody fight i think this season they really end up like the gore factor you know definitely more violent like a a visceral sense you know which which is good because i feel like that's what this that that's the kind of stuff the show needs you know and it has a lot of this show this season definitely has a lot of good stuff going for it, you know, the story, like, for me, the storytelling is, uh, surprisingly, well, I guess I shouldn't really be that surprised after the first season, but the storytelling is kind of, as we all know by now, different from most superhero movies and shows that, you know, has a very humane touch to it, you know, the characters are very, all multi-layered, and their struggles are more, um, more than just the simple, like, good versus evil, you know, it's a very, it's a very investing show for me, because the conflict, um, these characters face are very much internal as they external, you know, and the plot, I, th- I think as a result kind of evolves around the characters rather than the other way around. And, um, yeah, as I said, I only seen four episodes and, um, it definitely, it definitely had some slow moments. Um, and this season, um, especially, especially with, I guess with, um, with the Punisher, because he delivers some very, um, stellar monologues, like throughout, like the, well, the, um, well, the four episodes I've seen, mm-hmm. but um, I think the payoff is very much worth it, you know. And like you said before, I'm 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 a sucker for good cinematography. Yeah. And I think the visual representation of the season is just as stellar as the writing, you know. Um, like yesterday, like Eric and I were actually talking about how this show has a unique color code to mm-hmm. it, you know, and and that that then this season is the presence of the color red, you know. Not, I feel like it not only represents, it all goes back to cinematography, and I guess the visual, you know, the red represents, like, the color of Daredevil's costume, like, obviously, but I think it also symbolizes his kind of hunger for vengeance and his, like, blood boiling, like, anger and guilt that he's been kind of buried inside him, you know. Yeah. But like I said, I'm only a quarter into the season. And so there's a lot more exciting stuff to um, expect in the future. Oh, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's yep. you've you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, like with a lot of a lot of it there. Um, like the the character development uh, is very nuanced. There, the facets of everyone's personality is it's they're so multi layered and deep in a way that definitely. a lot of a lot of comic book shows are kind of afraid to go for. 
you right. know, it, it definitely, it doesn't pull any punches with kind of where they're willing to take their characters, morally speaking, and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of emotionally speaking and with their friendships and the relationships and stuff like that. So from that point of view, like the, the writer in me absolutely loves it, like the development that they go in for every single character on this show not like there's no character that's really left out i mean karen gets her own thing foggy gets his own thing matt has his own thing going on the punisher electra they all have like kind of converging storylines you know but at the same time at the same time everyone kind of meets in the middle and everything kind of interconnects and it just it weaves in, in like everyone's storyline weaves into it's very balanced yeah exactly yep. yeah and and there's you know there's compelling kind of arcs for each individual character but they have a kind of opportunity to to kind of meld with other characters that maybe they hadn't meld with before and it's just a very interesting dynamic and um, and again no spoilers or anything like that but there are two characters in particular who who work really really well together and i really enjoyed watching them on screen so mm-hmm. yeah, you guys, I'm jealous because I really hate myself for binging it so feckin' badly. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, but it was great. It was. No. I, can't, I mean, that's what happened to me when with uh, Jessica Jones. I mean, I wrote one review for the first episode and then binge watched. And I was like, damn it! I was like, I'm supposed to write the rest of this, and then I was like, well, I'll just do one normal like review of the overall series. And I still haven't done that. I should probably do yeah. that. Either I should do that, or any one of you guys can probably just take up the mantle because I don't know. I just suck. Oh, I love um, Jessica Jones. Oh, you're fine. No, I mean, I, I, I get it. I get it completely. I binge watch Jessica Jones in one day. I managed. <laughs> I managed to have the the very, very, very kind of um, self control, and I use that term very loosely, uh, to watch Daredevil over two days. Um, I told myself I'd, I'd do maybe four or five days, maybe watch two episodes here, two episodes here. It was too difficult. I just binge watched it all, nearly all of it yesterday, but. Um, but with Jessica Jones, I watched it all 13 hours flat out and I hated myself for it because I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't remember, like, because you watch that much TV in one day, you can't possibly remember what happened when or, you know, the little smaller little things, Easter eggs that they have. You can't possibly remember that. So I will eventually rewatch it because I know that I missed a bunch of stuff that I wouldn't have had I taken the time to actually, you know bask in it yeah you know savor it a right. little so um definitely i think you're going the right way eric just kind of take a couple of episodes um at a time yeah um, and going back to what you guys were sorry. saying i really like how shows have had this trend lately of having all of their characters be more you know have more shades of gray to them rather than be a clear good or evil person yeah um it's been a very fun i think development because there was that whole infallible superhero idea before, but now they're just kind of, you know, fucked up people. Definitely. And um, they're not held on pedestals necessarily anymore. Because you think about the actual ramifications of someone who, you know, takes justice into their own hands. You don't really have <coughs> perfectly honorable individuals happen that often, so... You're dealing with just a regular person who has acquired abilities and has to kind of figure out what their idea of what justice they is. They have moral flaws and so on, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, and then with yeah. the Daredevil characters, I like that they do each have their own different stories. You don't just have... It's not just, 
you know, we're not just following Matt, and we're worried about his story, and everyone else is just a guest star on the Matt show. I mean, Karen, at the end of last season, they still haven't brought that up. She hasn't told anybody about how she killed, you know, Fisk's associate. No one really knows that. Um, And that's her own kind of demons that only we know. Yeah, and they do. They deal, they deal, again, and no spoilers or anything, but they do deal with Karen in a beautiful way in in season two, not only with kind of what we know about her already, but they bring up another couple of mysteries about her, which is very intriguing as as well. Um, And I think that, um, you know, Deborah Ann Wool, she's doing a fantastic job. She really, she really has. And she's been given her own sort of meaty storyline. And it's great. It's great to see her kind of branch out away from Nelson and Murdoch and see how she gets on kind of as a character standing alone by herself. And she does a fantastic job with it. So season two really did kind of up the ante for Karen a lot. And Foggy, actually. Foggy gets, a, a you know, a decent kind of meaty bit of, kind of role as well so it's it's great they really have it's very much not the match show anymore there's there's a lot of people who a lot of people who were not as much in kind of the throws in season one but they definitely are in season two so that's something to look forward to yeah um yeah there's like pretty much i mean this this season just kind of just fires in all cylinders um i was saying telling kevin earlier and and i know a little bit of my review um that there are some technical shooting, you know, problems with how and how they filmed it. In, in other ways, I'm not sure if anyone else noticed it, but um, I think it's more apparent in episode two and three. Mm. Um, not to go, I'm, I won't delve too much into you know the details because I don't want to spoil anything for anyone or for Andrea. Um, but when the cops are shooting at them, like a SWAT team or whatever. I'm looking at uh, one of the uh, snipers, and it's just it's just weird. And this is can be labeled as nitpicking as whatever, but I just feel like on a show like this that has this level of detail, it's you know it's kind of strange that that's out of so out of place. It's like uh, uh, one of the police snipers is using a bolt action rifle, but he's shooting it like a semi-auto, and it just to me kind of took me out of it because if you put so much detail in giving the Frank Castle character so much militarized training and attention to detail on how he uses firearms, how are you not doing the same for everyone else? Yeah. And then there was another, there was another inconsistency. This is like a uh, consistency issue with filming. Like, on one scene, it's there, but in the next scene, it's not. Like, that was that was a little bit apparent in, like in, a, in episode Like a continuity error? Yeah, continuity error. That's yeah. what I found. Yeah. yeah, I was like, that's strange. Um, yeah, but, continuity is a bitch. It really is. I had to make a student film before, and it's so difficult. Like people would knock over props or whatever, and you'd forget where things are. It's so difficult. So I kind of, yeah, I kind of understand if there's a, a continuity error here and there. I kind of get it. But what you're talking about with technique and stuff like that, um, I completely agree. They should really be on the ball with kind of that stuff because, especially if you know, we're, you know, we're getting Punisher who is so you know, military trained or whatever, to not have the other people be trained as, like, also doesn't make sense. So I, I agree with you there, yeah. I know I didn't catch it myself because it wouldn't be something I'd know personally. But um, there are a couple of things when it comes to some of the fight sequences that I noticed, a few kind of punches that didn't look like they really landed, you know, that kind of way. So there's a few things like that where I'm like, oh... Was that really done as well as it could have been? Because I, I always notice it on shows like Arrow and stuff like that, 
when they're doing all like the fancy kicks and everything, I'm like, you're not actually hitting them though. You don't, you oh, don't actually. Arrow like, horrible. Yeah, you don't. You know, you're hitting air, and it's very obvious. You know that kind of way. So there are one or two moments in Daredevil season two where um, a particular character looks like they're not hitting the actual bad guys so there are one or two moments like that but i mean that happens you know it's it's yeah i'm not being too nit- nitpicky about it like it still is fantastic you know yeah um i think about i mean the way that hits are sort of you know hits are landed in daredevil they don't over exaggerate with some stupid goofy sound effects <coughs> so i and yeah. uh it's not slapstick you're not gonna yeah you know, it's not you know yeah i know what you mean so maybe the impact doesn't sometimes doesn't feel that as hard as it should be, but I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of them sort of do land. Uh, when you're talking about Arrow, Arrow is like horrendous this time oh, around. God, like yeah, the, the action went from being some pretty solid. Like season one and two were the high points with the action choreography, yeah. mm-hmm. and there are some really notable great moments. And in coming season three and season four, it's just like it's. I can just, I can sum up every action sequence, you know, just to the letter. It's stupid, needless twirling. Yeah. Uh, horrible cuts that happen. They they always cut the scene every single time someone hits someone. So it just cuts each time. Yeah. I and am. yeah. And like you said, hits the way look they land. And like um, what's with Oliver like continuously getting his ass handed to him as well? I'm like, dude, back in the day, you straight up murdered people. Like yeah. you were proper. You know what I mean? You proper. He's a punk people. ass bitch. Yeah, and now you're like one punch and you're down. Get the fuck up! Like, what are you doing? So yeah, oh. no, there are definitely yeah, there are definitely moments like that. And uh, the the thing I like about Daredevil as well is that they're not afraid to have Matt have his ass handed to him. Dear God, that boy goes through so much pain. Like, he gets yeah. his ass kicked continuously. But he always, yeah. like, goes through it. He, he perseveres. Yeah, and that's... Yeah. Sorry, Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, you go ahead. No, I, I was just, yeah, no I was just saying that, um, that, you know, with Arrow, it's almost kind of seen as sort of, you know, as a writing flaw that they've suddenly, you know, had Oliver not be able to to kind of hit people properly anymore or whatever. But with Matt, it's kind of drawn on. It's not seen as a weakness. Like, he perseveres through that shit and he gets it done. You know, that kind of way. And he, he absolutely gets himself brutalized, but he keeps going. And I like that kind of that kind of, you know, tenacity with, with Matt. He kind of, he gets his ass handed to him, but he comes back up and he beats the shit out of whoever, you know, beat the crap out of him first. And I like that about Matt. You don't see that yeah, often. Yeah, I think it actually makes it, yeah, I actually think it makes him a very vulnerable character, which um, okay. really goes together with the show, which makes him, which is a very, um, I guess, grounded and realistic. And because Matt is such a vulnerable character, and because he, you know, gets put, um, he, he he goes through a lot of tough stuff, you know, <laughs> because he's such a vulnerable character, it comes to unpredictability. I was talking to Eric last night how, um, another thing that this show is very different from the traditional superhero show is that Daredevil doesn't always, you know, saves the day, you know? Yeah. Sometimes he could be like a second too late, or, you know, you know, there are moments, like, I don't want to go to, like, the spoiler territory, but sometimes yeah. when you're expecting, like, a scenario is playing out, and you, and you expect Daredevil to show up, you know, right about now to save the day, but he doesn't. And then sometimes our, um, you know, our characters suffer, you know, because of that, yeah. um, which makes sense because this show is all about, I guess, facing the, your inner demon, like facing like the realistic like um, uh, consequences of your decisions. You know, every action that you take, in every decision you make, they have like consequences. There's like a ripple effect, and because everyone is such a vulnerable character, such everyone had their own like um, inner demons. It's very difficult to 
basically to foresee, to predict, you know, what's going to happen, which made the show even more, I guess, addicting. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it is very realistic. Going back to what you guys were saying, half of the show, I feel like, is just hanging out with Matt while he recovers yeah. and um, kind of walking through his nursing back to health. Um, but it's it's good because you're, again, not only are your superheroes not completely infallible as you know, men- mentally, but you have to ha- show that they can also be hurt like the villains are. Um, I'm tired of movies where they just get, r- like, people get punched to the head multiple times and they're just totally good to go. Yeah. Or, you know, get a chair broken over them and they're like, oh, what is that? That's fine. It's a scratch. But the show shows him with some very serious wounds. So. Yeah, and it, it makes like it does make it all the more realistic. Like one of the most relatable characters to me in the show is Claire Temple, because she's the one that literally cleans up after all the mess, after all the violence is said and done. Claire is brought in to kind of fix everybody up, and she's just she is great commentary because she's just saying to herself like, "You are not infallible. You are a human being. You you are not magic. You can't just." you know, get stabbed in the gut and be absolutely fine. Like, you are killing yourself, you crazy bastard. And I like that about her. I like that she just calls people on their bullshit. You know, she did it in Jessica Jones as well, you know, and she's, you know, she's going to continue, I assume, to do it in Daredevil. And uh, that's that's really relatable to me because I'm like, yeah, you're, 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 you know, it kind of is reinforced to you that these people are not magic. You know what I mean? They're, they are very, very... Um, you know, fallible. They're very easy to hurt. You know, they are normal human beings like you or I. Okay, we don't have, you know, powers where we can, like, smell ice cream from, like, five blocks away or whatever, but at the same time, you know, Matt is a human being. He can't just not die. Like, he's not Deadpool. He can't, like, regenerate or whatever. So, um, I think I like that about Daredevil. I like how realistic it is in that way. Yeah, I... Must say, Claire does seem like the voice of reason character. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you get that sometimes with Foggy, but <clears throat> I, I guess that's more of there to have a devil's advocate as well. Yeah. To Matt, just he reminds him, you know, you have a a real a real <laughs> life on top of this. You can't just you know live in the shadows. You have a law practice that stands yeah. to fall apart if you get in trouble. And he kind of serves to remind people, oh, okay, you know, this is a real show with real-life repercussions, and we're going to show that Yeah, and, and they do, yeah, and I have to say, like, Foggy, for me as a character, is, you know, very much kind of the heart of the show in a way. Like, his, his and Matt's relationship, I think, really kind of humanizes Matt in a way um, that is very, like, we all, we all, you know, we all love our best friends, and we all you know we understand sometimes you know how how we can hurt them and how we can keep secrets and stuff like that so i really it resonates with me foggy and matt's relationship on the show and it really is kind of one of the best kind of selling points of the show and like eldon uh, eldon henson and charlie cox they've a great chemistry on screen and it's just really fun to watch and they they take it in in a new direction this season and it's yeah they just do a fantastic job yeah um, I guess for our next podcast, we can talk more about it when the rest of us have actually seen it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess, are, are we okay with moving on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so just the second topic, uh, I just want to talk about what TV shows you're all watching at the moment and just in general, not including Daredevil, obviously. 
Yeah. Um, for me, I'm watching Marvel's Agents of Shield. Uh, they're finally back under from their hiatus. Um, Vikings season four, or just season three. Uh, my friend worked on Vikings. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She Crazy. Was she said it was really funny. She sent me a picture of she was like just wearing her normal like Beatles T-shirt and a and a pair of jeans just standing in one of the Viking ships. So um, because a lot of it's filmed here, a lot of it's filmed in Ireland. Right. So right. Um, she she was. Oh, a, nice. Yeah. Yeah. She was a makeup artist and costume um, assistant on the show. So she used to just send me loads of, you know, pictures and stuff from the set. So it was pretty cool. Every That's time cool. I feel like I talk to you you tell me more reasons i need to move to ireland (laughs) (laughs) i know right because that's incredible i i also am a big fan of the show i haven't seen the new season yet but they actually do a good job with the history i mean a lot of it i think they picked this time period intentionally because (laughs) ragnar is a disputed character in history so they could get away with some more of the fantastical elements of his legend um, and take a lot of liberties with that. So I think I think they've done a damn good job. Oh yeah, it's been fantastic. like what I've seen. It's I haven't I haven't seen the kind of later seasons, but um, it is fantastic, and it's just it's it's a really well written show, I think, as well. And like you said, it's very kind of you know as much as it can be historically accurate and things like that. And um, the fact that they have women fighting as well, I think, is great. Um, because again, that's historically accurate as well. Women did you know fight alongside the men and stuff like that. So. Um, they do kind of deal deal with that um, thematically very well. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's one of those great shows. I really have to get mm-hmm. back into it, actually. You should. Oh, yeah. Not to mention, it's got the most attractive cast I've <laughs> ever seen. Very, All of these people are just ridiculously beautiful. Very beautiful people. <laughs> it drives me crazy. <laughs> yep. Lagertha is amazing. Catherine Winnick. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, she, Good Lord. Yeah, she's yeah, I've seen a picture of her at a press conference, and I almost didn't recognize her. I mean, she was, and she, she's gorgeous on the show, but then in real life, she, like, I saw a picture, I was like, well, all the more reason for me to continue watching the show. Yeah, like, I remember, <laughs> I remember her, she was in um, one of the early Final Destination, is it Final Destination? No, was that, no, is that her? Uh, it might not be her, actually, no, I remember her from Bones, that's what I remember her from. Um, well, she was in, like, season six of that or something. And like when Vikings first started, it was wrecking my head because I was like, "Who is she? I I know her from somewhere." But yeah, no, that's it. She she's just yeah, she's absolutely breathtaking. But she's a fantastic honestly, actress as I, well. I love the way she looks with her hair all braided and her war makeup on. Yeah. I think that's she's a fierce. That's the thing. It, she actually picked an actress who looks like she could kick some ass. Yeah, yeah. And be beautiful at the same exactly. time. Exactly. She's a black belt in Taekwondo as well. As opposed to the. Yeah, as opposed to those on Arrow, right? It just, you know, she actually looks yeah. like she can fight. I want to say as opposed to Gal Gadot, and I don't want to get any shit for it, but I'm sorry, that girl does not look like she could hurt anybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fucking Arrow has, okay, Laurel, oh, and, uh, and played by, uh, what the, what's her name again? Katie Cassidy, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then Thea, played by Willa Holland. Yeah. They look like okay. First of all, Willa Holland looks like a fucking twig, and I, I'm supposed to buy the fact that this, that this like four foot tall twig girl can t- take down five two hundred pound guys armed with machine guns. Mm, not That's even, not even that. I mean, like that their hair is always perfect. You know what I mean? Yes. There's never kind of their makeup is never out of place. And I'm just sitting there going like, did you go to a stylist before you kicked that guy's ass? Like, what are you doing? Like, what is going yeah. on? It's it's very unrealistic. They all have a puppy models. All of them. Yeah, and I, I hate that about TV as well. I hate... Sorry, Andrea, go on. 
No, no, go ahead. You know, I was just saying that I hate in, in kind of modern television, they're afraid to make women like normal looking, you know, that kind of yeah. way. I'm not even going to say ugly, but just like normal, you know, not, you know, done up to perfection. And that really, it really takes you out of the story because it's just that's so the CW for you. Well, that's it. Yeah, it's full of, you fucking know, CW. They have to have good looking people at all given times, no matter what. It doesn't matter who the hell they are. Like that's, even yeah. the mom is hot and narrow, right? Yeah. Everyone's yeah. is good looking. Doesn't make any sense at all. Not just Arrow. Like if you tune in any CW show, yeah. um, all the characters can pretty much be interchangeable because they're I mean, all super gorgeous-looking Abercrombie yeah. models. I mean, Liv on iZombie is literally a zombie, and she's still hot. You know what I mean? I'm like, what? You know, you're dead. That's what I, I like that about Vikings. They are not afraid to put wounds on their women and show <laughs> them, you know, battle-wearied, blood on their faces. That'll I hate that in shows where even even the cut on someone's face has to be in the most aesthetically pleasing yes. location. It's very strategic. Um, it's like, okay. <laughs> and I usually yeah. disappoint. Yeah, Vikings, what was it? The, the the hot wife to Bjorn, she fucking loses an eye. Like, her half her face gets cut. Yeah, they show her half her face is just incredibly permanently scarred because it's... Yeah. Uh, you're going to be a fighter at some point you're not going to look as cute because you're going to sustain an injury that, you know, and I like that they they try to keep that consistent. Yeah. Um, yeah, the production quality for Vikings definitely exceeded my expectations. Like, I didn't know it was a, a, a History Channel show. You know, like, because how cinematic everything looked, um, I overlooked the fact that it was a, a History Channel. It was a, it was on History Channel. And then I talked to Egg about it and he said that, you know, yeah, it's one of the you know, better shows on History Channel, and I was like, it's on History Channel? You know, because the production value is so high, the, the, uh, the attention to details and all the, um, you know, the grand settings and everything, the battle scenes, they're, all very, they're very much on point. So, kudos to them, yeah, the, I just want to talk about something about the, uh, the the production value because I'm really impressed by, by all that. Yeah, they really do. They do a fantastic job. The production value, the, the, the kind of costume design, the makeup, everything is just on point. It really is. Um, and like you said, for a History Channel show, like it's not, it doesn't have the biggest budget going, you know, that kind of way. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have the budget that, say, Game of Thrones has, and yet it can still kind of rub elbows with the, with the greats, you know, that kind of way. So definitely, yeah, I really I have to get back into it. It's a very good show. Yeah. Um, wait, what? So, I'll, what else I was watching? Oh, yeah, I was watching uh, also Brooklyn Nine Nine, which is just a sitcom comedy. I love that show. I it's, yes. I I love it. It's great. It's everything yeah. a comedy should be. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things where it's hilarious without being offensive, like without being overly offensive or crass. You know that kind of way. It's it shows that you know there there is a way to be incredibly funny without being rude you know that kind of way and don't get me wrong i like a bit of rude humor nowadays like i mean jesus i'm a huge deadpool fan for god's sake but i will say there is like a there is a line i think in television that obviously people can't cross and brooklyn 99 do such a fantastic job without ever crossing that line um and it's just and i think the cast is just amazing they just work so well together like yeah. um, Andy, um, sorry, what's his last name? Andy Samberg and um, you know, uh, t- oh, what's his name? Terry, Terry, Terry Cruz. Terry yeah, like I love their dynamic. They're hilarious together, and you know, um, the girl who plays Gina, 
uh, Chelsea Peretti, I think her name is. She's fantastic. Yeah. Just everyone. I can't like. There's n- there's no weak link in that cast at all. Um, yeah, Brooklyn Nine Nine. It's great. Uh, just it kind of kind of gives a you know a lighter take on the police you know in in New York. But you know, if, if it, it's not at all like reality based, it's not one of those super gritty cop shows. Obviously, it's a comedy, so it kind of gives this lighthearted feel to it. Even when they're even when they're having covering cases that involve <laughs> murders, it's still just very lighthearted somehow. Yeah, um, they they it's yeah it's a it's a balance that it, you know is very difficult, but they do it really well. Like they take serious kind of crime, like you know murder and assault and stuff like that, and they still manage to make you know, a, a really funny kind of episode out of it. So that's really kind of applaud worthy as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, you guys should definitely check it out. Um, also, I'm watching Better Call Saul. Yeah. Which is that spinoff, too. Breaking Bad. Yeah, great. Great show. I like it a lot so far. Um, it's very clever writing to it and how they portray, how they, like, have visual storytelling, which I like a lot. A lot. Yeah. Every episode has that cult opening, right? Yeah. And um, by the time that opening is done, before the opening credits crawl, um, you know, it implies a lot. It foreshadows a lot ahead of time, which I like a lot. It's cool. Um, but yeah, Better Call Saul is great. A lot of, it t- kind of tells you a lot of origins of not just Saul Goodman, but of, uh, you know, cool characters like Mike. From oh Breaking God! Bad. Yeah, I, Mike, Mike is, is the best of, character. I love Mike. I love him. I really do. He's fantastic. How and many grandpas are that badass? Like, I know. <laughs> I was like, I wish he was my granddad. Like, why? I don't know. But uh, yeah, no, he's fantastic. And his episode last year in season one, I think it was episode eight, where we get kind of a full backstory of him and his son and everything. Mm-hmm. Like that to me was the best episode of Better Call Saul in season one. It really oh, was. Yeah. Like it. it it really kind of just showcased Jonathan Banks and how great of an actor he is. But not only that, how dynamic a character like Mike is, you know, that kind of way, someone who came in sort of on the fringes of season two and breaking bad or whatever. And you're like, who the hell is this guy? You know? And he just completely blew it out of the water. Like he really showed that there is so much, there's so many layers to Mike, you know, that kind of way. He's not just, okay. Yeah. He definitely is the kick-ass grandpa or whatever, but there is so much more, to him than just that, you know. I will say, um, back to Breaking Bad, for me, and I mean, the down the downturn started a long time ago, but for me, the, the last straw in forgiving Heisenberg was the killing of Mike. That was when I knew he was not coming back in any yeah. way. That was in, unforgivable, you know. yeah. It was. Uh, especially because he didn't have to fucking kill him. He realizes after he shot him, wait yeah. a second, I could have asked Lydia for that list. Yeah, it was such a split-second ego thing. I mean, that was Heisenberg's fall, really, wasn't it? It was his ego, you know, that kind of way. It was a split-second, you know, he grabs the gun, he shoots... You know, it's only afterwards. And, like, that's why I always say he's so dumb for a smart person. He is the dumbest smart person, like, ever. You know what I mean? It's only when you see him lie to, like, Skylar and everything. Like, he's so, he's very, you know, fumbling. He's very, when it comes to, you know, his his interpersonal relationships, he's so stupid. And I'm sitting there going, like, dude, you're a genius, but you're absolutely deplorable when it comes to social interaction. Like, when it's not, when you're not playing a role, when you're not being Heisenberg, when you're just being Walter White, you are such an idiot. Like, you are so dumb sometimes. And I think... That's a pretty common 
thing among certain, you know, very high intelligence individuals. Mm. Um, I mean, Einstein had horrible relations with his family. Yeah. He could not really identify with them at all. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you're right there. And, like, that's what I'm saying. They, they did such a good job in portraying that. You know, Brian Cranston, fantastic actor, and he, he did it so wonderfully. Like, one minute he was Heisenberg, you know, you know, killing somebody with a bike lock, even, even, you know, back in season one or whatever, this terrifying moment, you know, but then, you know, he would turn into this fumbling, really, really bad liar around Skyler, you know, that kind of way. So it was a great kind of dynamic that he had. And the fact that Mike could see through that as well, like he could see through Walter's bullshit. I love that, you know, that kind of way. He didn't let him away with anything. And uh, right up until the last minute, he tells him to go fuck himself when he's dying, you know, that kind of way. So, um, yeah, I really, yeah, Mike is just, he's great. And I love, I love seeing him in Better Call Saul. Yeah. Um, also, it's cool to see Tuco Salamanca again. That's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. yeah. He, a fantastic actor. I could just, he's um, insane. Oh, yeah. He's proper balls to the wall, batshit crazy. And that's what you need sometimes. You know, you need a bit of yeah, you need a bit of craziness. But um, but yeah, no, Better Call Saul. It really is. It's it's a slower type of a show. Like I mean, Breaking Bad. I don't know if you guys remember at the very very start. It was a bit slow. You know, kind of getting. Oh yeah, it was very slow. You know? Seasons one and two got pretty damn slow. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, Better Call Saul's too slow and all this. And I'm like, hang on, do you not remember the like seven minute long breakfast scenes that we used to get in Breaking Bad? Like, do you not remember those? <laughs> I do. They'd like sit at the table in silence for like three solid minutes. Just just staring at each other and i'm like don't get me wrong breaking bad is my favorite show of all time but jesus those were unnecessary sometimes you know that kind of way so i mean give better call Saul a break you know it's doing its best and i mean the fact that it has to live up to such an iconic show in itself is very difficult you know so i try and keep it separate when i'm thinking of better call Saul. i try and keep my feelings for breaking bad out of it you know yeah um Breaking Bad is, you know, definitely super iconic. I don't think Better Call Saul would reach that quite that same level, but it's definitely, you know, great and definitely yeah. worth watching. Yeah, no, it won't um, get that notoriety. I don't think that that Breaking Bad got, but it's still fantastic. Um, yeah, and then I guess the last show that comes to mind that I'm watching right now is Forged in Fire, which it's not. It's it's a reality show, but usually I hate those sort of things. But nothing about this has sort of fabricated bs drama or anything like that and it's not a show that follows like the same people over a course of an entire season it's different people each time each episode and it's basically iron chef but for bladesmiths weapon making yeah yeah okay i i I think i've told kevin andrea about this before but yeah it's on history channel uh there's a panel of three judges. Two of them are a professional, you know, blacksmith. One of them is a really well-known Filipino martial arts weapons expert um, who, I, who I follow. And the contestants are four people, four blacksmiths. They have to uh, go through two rounds of making like a, a weapon. Uh, first round is just make a knife, but at their specific, you know, specifications, measurements, and what they want on the blade. And the first round is all right, make it, make a full functioning blade but no handle, just the whole blade itself. Make sure it's heat-treated, which is what you do to harden your blade, and um, that sort of stuff. And then uh, based on that, they will eliminate one person who just didn't make the cut or something like that. And then the second round is now make your handle and fix any imperfections. And then once that's done, 
uh, they actually test it on various different objects, dead pigs, you know, uh, wood, whatever, what have you. And then whoever doesn't pass that, out one person goes home. And then the last two compete by, uh, they have to recreate a specific historic weapon. So like a katana or a Viking longsword or, a, you know, a spiked shield. Uh, they, they have five days at their home forge to make that. And then they come back and test it again. And whoever <laughs> wins, wins $10,000. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, uh, none, none of the drama is fabricated, right? Like <coughs> things that are happening on the show are real. Like a dude cutting himself on the grinder, yeah, which is pretty bad because that can take off your bone, actually. Um, you know, and, and at one point, uh, the final contest. This has never happened before. The dude just these, these two guys made. Just, they just did not make their weapons very well. They were supposed to make a, a, a Scottish claymore, okay. and it was so shittily made it, it warped on impact. And then the other guys just shattered in, in, on impacts. So the guys who didn't have a sh- his blade shatter won. So it was just so anticlimactic. You, you won because the other guy sucked more than you. So yeah, there's that. You, you kind of tell that it's not fake. There's no there's no BS associated with it. And if you're like a kind of a history buff like like, like myself or who appreciates that sort of you know uh, weapon making stuff, it's really cool to watch and uh, how how you know weapons are made, the process. And they throw in sometimes they throw in some crazy challenges in episodes. There was one where it was no electricity, only use um, handmade tools to forge a weapon, which takes you know forever, and you can't even use a, a normal like a, a power a gas powered uh, forge. You have to use a coal forge, so you have to constantly heat up the coal, make sure the air flows good to heat up and stuff. Yeah, you know crazy stuff like that. And then the one was like use the materials from a car. Literally dismantle a car and then use the metal parts in that car, melt it down and make a weapon out of it. So yeah, you know it's a lot of fun uh, if you're into that sort of stuff. I don't like reality TV show at all, and I, I like the show a lot. Don't lie, you're probably a big fan of The Bachelor or something. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, the no, last reality fun. show I watched was actually Ultimate Fighter. And that's just because I, li- I like watching, you know, MMA, UFC stuff. Yeah, yeah. Wait, are we not talking about The Bachelor on this podcast? Because I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> oh, damn, I had a whole speech for her. Yeah, no, that sounds really cool. I've never I've never heard of it. Is it on the History Channel? Yeah, it is. Oh, right, Every okay. Tuesday at 9, 9 p.m. Well, Eastern you, Time. Yeah, for you guys. I don't know. I don't even know if we have it here. I, I'll, I'll, I don't know. I'll look it up, though. It sounds cool. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, what are shows you guys are watching? I've been rambling a lot. Oh, that's a dangerous question for me. Like, I the answer is too many. I'm <laughs> answering, yeah, I'm watching too many, too many TV shows. Um, off the top of my head, uh, Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, I Zombie, Agents of Shield, Brooklyn Nine Nine, Sleepy Hollow, uh, Lucifer, Broad City, Elementary, Supergirl, Better Call Saul. Yeah, so the, <laughs> they're just a few off the top of my head. Um, oh, you're really, watching Supergirl? Yeah, I'm still watching it. I, I'm it's good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I gave that show two episodes, and I, for some reason, I couldn't push myself to continue. Yeah. It's just something about the whole. I don't know the writing, the <laughs> acting. I don't know. Like you, you, you're definitely still watching it. So, um, is it? Does it get any good? Yeah, I mean, I'm better. Well, yeah, it's, uh, okay, well, the way I see it, the way I would describe it is it's a CW show that's not on the CW. It probably should be. Um, Yeah, don't get me wrong, like, there there are definite kind of, um, there are definite good things about it, you know what I mean? They do, 
they do tackle a lot of kind of interesting topics and you know there are some really cool cameos and some really cool kind of easter eggs and stuff like that but that does not a good show make you know there has to be a more a more kind of substance to it and at the moment like they've started to add a more dynamic kind of um development between two particular characters and that i think has kind of strengthened the kind of cast and um, but in saying that i'm kind of reserving judgment i'm gonna it's not a show i watch week to week let's put it that way i let a few episodes build up and then i watch it you know that kind of way so it's not it's not something that i'm you know on the edge of my seat for every week and um, but in saying that neither is legends of tomorrow I really, I really can't get into that at all. I don't know. I just can't. Um, there's a, few, there's a couple of, of, of TV shows that I just haven't made my mind up fully about yet. Um, but I will say there are some glaring writing issues with Supergirl and their, yeah, acting issues and stuff as well. But I think you know a lot of, a lot of TV shows. Like if I think back to Arrow in season one, you know, a lot of it had a lot of writing problems. Do you know what I mean? There was a lot of kind of moments where it was kind of stumbling a bit and it didn't know what kind of a show it wanted to be and and i think that's what supergirl i think that's what's happening with supergirl it hasn't really decided what kind of a show it's going to be yet you know and uh, it was the same with agents of shield i mean i didn't fall in love with agents of shield until season one episode 17 turn 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 and i will never ever forget that the winter soldier yes the winter soldier episode that was literally it for me the 16 episodes before that i couldn't give a shit about i was literally like why am i still watching this oh yeah because i love colson that's literally the only reason why i'm still watching and so yeah i think a lot of shows have kind of you know growing pains i think is how i describe it and so i'm gonna give it until the end of the season and if it's not compelling me more by then i'm just gonna drop it you know, completely. Yeah. Um, shows that I just given up on were Arrow, but Arrow I fell in love with beginning yeah. at, at first, yeah. and I gave it three and a half seasons. Mm. And if it didn't get, if it wasn't better by then, fuck it. You know, I'm done. Sorry. Yeah. And yeah. Um, when uh, and then for Gotham, everyone kept on telling me, "Hey, Eric, you gotta watch Gotham. You know, you love Batman." Oh, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Gotham. And I was just like, uh, guys, this looks fucking episodes, stupid to me. I think four. <laughs> Four or five episodes, I think I lasted, and I couldn't watch Gotham anymore. I lasted like. It literally feels yeah. nothing like the Gotham that people know. You know, it doesn't feel, it doesn't have the comic book feel, and the writing it's just weird. And you know, it doesn't really have, it doesn't feel like Gotham City. You know, it feels like, um, I saw like the first, like the pilot episode. It just something feels, something felt off for me. Yeah. Um, it it, it just didn't. Something is missing, you know. You you know, for Batman, a TV show to Batman work, you need. Missing. That's what's missing. It's Batman. It's, yeah. <laughs> and you, you say you have a puny, puny Bruce Wayne who uh, uh, that that kid who plays. <laughs> I, I just I just look at him and like he is going to yeah he is going to grow up to become Batman. Yeah, like, I just I just I try to wrap my head around that. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't really want to see Bruce Wayne go through puberty. Like that's not something I've ever wanted to see in my lifetime. I'm not going to be like. You know, I, do you know what I really want to see? I want to see, you know, Batman, you know, I want his voice to break. I want to see him get acne. That's what I want to see with my TV. Like, no, you want to see that at night. Like, why would you watch? Like, I don't know. I, I just don't see the appeal to it, you know, at all. So, I mean, I heard that um, in season two, you know, spoiler alert or whatever, but I think they bring the Joker into it or like, who is, who so, would yeah. the Joker? Here's another he's not, major he's not a, fucking problem. He's not a Joker. Yeah, he's he's some character that like supposedly inspired the Joker, which is some basically half-assed oh, attempt that. Yeah, no, he's not. And yeah, uh, okay, here's the problem: they keep on introducing these fucking major villains who didn't come about until after Batman came. 
So yeah. yeah so who who is glad for Batman to fight? You know, <laughs> like Freeze everyone is here. so much older. I remember yeah. you from when I was thirteen years old. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're like what? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, do you? By the way, do you guys watch um, House of Cards? You know Edward Meachin, like the security guard. Yeah. Frank Underwood security guard. Yeah. Um, from this new season, uh, I'm not gonna spoil anything, but um, the guy he's actually Mr. Freeze from yeah. Gotham. The reason he left. House of Cards is because he wants to play Mr. <laughs> Mr. Freeze in Gotham. Oh, so he's actually going to... Yeah. So he left yeah. House of Cards just beyond Gotham. Yeah, I, I was looking through it. Because I was... um Something happened in season four of House of Cards uh, with his character, and I was watching an interview. And at one part, he mentioned, yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad to be joining the Fox family. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I looked at that. Oh, he's going to be playing Mr. Freeze on Gotham. Okay, then. You just you just got to do you, man. Like, like if you want to be a comic book villain so bad. Yeah. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's crazy how to think about like, when people leave great shows like House of Cards just to join, like, a mediocre... Like, it, the show doesn't even hit the, quite the right marks like Gotham. You know, yeah. it's, this is just a side note. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah, um, speaking of House of Cards, what do you guys think of this uh, newer season? It's great. It's amazing. Yeah, I love it. It's much better than the last season, for sure. Just, it's great. Everything started to go, like, back on track, you know, in a way. Not not quite fully, but, you know, it's, it's everything, all the characters and storylines are heading towards, you know, the direction that I kind of would expect them to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, there, there, there's quite a lot of, um... Like redemption, oh, I don't want to say redemption because all all these people are beyond saving uh, on the show. But <laughs> there are quite a few moments that make you realize why you love the show so much, and uh, these moments were kind of missing in the previous season. And um, so yeah, like I, I largely enjoy the show. Um, I'm still on the fence about, I guess, the, the ending. I don't want to spoil anything. Like the ending of season four, like the last scene. I guess it's either like I was talking to Eric about it. It's either like hate it or love it moment. But like it's the build up before that. I can't really judge a show based on its, you know, the last five minutes of it. I had to like take everything I've seen into consideration. And for that, I would say I largely enjoyed uh, this new season because um, I just enjoy the character dynamics and and direction that the plot is heading a lot more than season three. Yeah, I. Yeah. I think what happened last season is they weren't quite sure how long they were running for, so they didn't know what they wanted to accomplish, and that's why the ending was a little strange, I thought. And it just ended in a weird place last season. Um, But yeah, I think I definitely agree that this has been... I haven't finished the new season, but it's it's definitely stronger for me so far. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah... So wait, what other shows you you guys were watching? Um, I was uh, I don't know watching a lot, <laughs> too much. Uh, yeah, I was just talking about um things like uh, like Lucifer. I don't know if you guys caught that. I wrote a review on it for Nubist. It's that adaptation. Look- for- Sorry. Is that modern day urban like Lucifer in, in like a suit? Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, yeah, he uh, he basically starts solving crime or some shit. Like I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's basically it's loosely based off um, off the what is it called? Uh, you know the Neil uh, the Neil Gaiman uh, comic book series. Um, it's loosely, very, very, very loosely based off that. 
Um, and it's okay. It's not great, to be honest. I'm probably going to drop it soon. Although the last... The last it's going to get cancelled. That's what they're saying. That's what more I... More than likely, yeah. It's not... The writing uh, is god-awful. It really... <laughs> god-awful. <laughs> but no, it's... Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's, it's not... It's... It's very um, wishy-washy. It's not... They haven't really made any of the characters in any way sort of you know, um, compelling or anything like that. The cast, I'm not sure, gels well together. Um, I think Tom Ellis, who plays Lucifer, is probably one of the stronger elements of the show. Um, he gives a decent performance, you know, that kind of way. Um, but in saying that, I still don't think that's enough to carry the show. So, uh, yeah, let's just say there'll be no kind of tears if it's cancelled for me. But anyway... Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know if you guys watch it. It's coming back in April. I'm really looking forward to 12 Monkeys. Did you guys watch that? No. It's, 12 Monkeys? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the TV show. It's based loosely on uh, the film with Bruce Willis, 1995. Um, That'll be amazing. Yeah, yeah. The sci-fi series. It's really good. It stars um, the guy from Nikita. Oh, I've, I've, I think I know the movies you're talking about. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> with... Um, with... It's, it's... Bruce Willis and um, Brad Pitt, I think. Yeah. Right. It's an old movie, yeah. Yeah, it's 1995, I think. So, um, yeah, it's based on that, and it's basically, it's time travel, and it's time travel done kind of better than I've seen in a while. You know, usually with time travel, it's ridiculous and completely off the wall or whatever. With this, they kind of handle it kind of well. They kind of, it's, It reminds me a little bit like Quantum Leap. Do you remember that show, Quantum Leap? Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit like that and how he sort of jumps through time and things but um, yeah it's good the the guy from Nikita is in it uh, he played um, Burkoff in Nikita oh yeah yeah, um, yeah and then the guy Charlie from Fringe is in it as well sorry I'm really bad at remembering <laughs> actors names but uh, yeah and Fringe obviously is a, is a, a love of mine as well so um I watched it mainly because I it knew was he was going to be... a great show. Yeah. Oh, my God. Fringe was amazing. I miss it so yep. much. It was such a great I was surprised show. that it ended so soon. It was... Yeah. It was I'm, a great show. It was. It was yeah. so good. Like, we had to fight so hard to get, like, a third season, let alone a fourth and a fifth season. So, um, yeah, I was devastated when it was cancelled. But, um, but at least, yeah, it kind of it wrapped up way better than Lost did, so... I suppose that's something that we can be looking for. And Lost will forever be emo the emotional cigar <laughs> for a generation of people. Uh, I, yeah, Lost was a show that a lot of my friends from high school really loved. Mm. And when it ended, it just, you know, it left like a bad taste in their mouth, you know, it yeah. kind of, you know, you, you, you basically invested so much of your emotions and time into, the, into this show. And and now they're just basically pulling out How I Met Your Mother. Well, How I Met Your Mother came later. But, you know, these two shows, How I Met Your Mother and Lost, are the two shows that utterly left fans like Jaw Drive in a very bad way. How not you know, the finale. finale, yeah. <laughs> I definitely agree with that because I, How I Met Your Mother, it just kind of left me pissed off for months after. And <laughs> that yeah. just completely half-assed ending, I... And I'm one of those people that it just disappointed me so much um, because it was a it was just kind of a fun show. I mean, certain times they they missed the mark, but it was still you did get invested in a way with yeah. the character. So when that ending happened, it was just 
horrifying. Um, and it shows the but, danger, I think, of the way writers kind of stick to their guns maybe too much and they don't kind of follow the story organically and they think, oh, maybe, you know, our original idea has changed and it's morphed into something else, so maybe we should go naturally with this direction. But no, they're like, nope, we're sticking to our guns. We've decided to this is going to end. Yep. Sorry? Yeah, we, they, for Jaime Romero, they decided to stay with the template. You know, the whole the whole thing that they made eight years ago. You know, yeah. the the decision that they made. It's very, you know, like you said, it's inorganic in a way. That, that's not how you're supposed to handle yeah. a story. And like, you don't write a story and decide a finale and work your story toward that finale. You want everything to flow naturally. You know, exactly. So, you can't just turn but, around eight years later and be like, nope, we're going to stick to my original plan that I had eight years ago, even though loads of things have changed and it really doesn't make sense for us to go with this idea anymore. We already have the stock footage of the two actors who play the kids and we need to go with that. You know, it's, you know, it's just, it didn't feel right to me. And I wasn't even a huge fan of the show. I was a casual viewer. So I can only imagine how difficult it must have been for a diehard fan, you know? I wasn't necessarily, you know, I, I never thought it was a perfect show by any stretch, but yeah. I watched it enough where I did really start to hope for certain things to happen. Um, it was so an that escape, was... you know, definitely, yeah. But speaking of, I'm excited for some future shows. I really, I mean, a series of unfortunate events was one of my favorite series oh, yeah. ever. Oh, my God, and oh, yeah. after that movie... After that movie happened, I, I really think if anyone can redeem it, Netflix has a chance. Definitely. And I want to see what happens with that. Um, it's definitely and have any right of you read Margaret Atwood? Sorry? No. Um, well, Margaret Atwood has a lot of really great futuristic dystopian type novels, and she has a series called Mad Adam. And um, it's an incredible, you know, three books, but they're going to have Darren Aronofsky you know develop a show for it on hbo and that's going to be wild i think if they pull it off i do have that guy who did the ransom black swan yes he is yeah there's Um, definitely a lot of shows i think that are coming up you know in the next year or so that are really you know that are really going to be something um did you guys catch the teaser for luke cage uh, I saw parts of it posted online, but you you only be able to see the whole thing after you watch the season finale of Daredevil, right? Yeah, see, that's it. No, it's only about fifteen yeah. seconds long. I watched all of Daredevil, and it's only like fifteen twenty seconds long. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty rad. But it's uh, pretty I'm looking good. forward to it. Yeah, yeah, and it's good because um, you know, there've been um, there've been murmurings that um, Rosario Dawson's going to be in it. Claire, like she's going to make a. A kind of, oh, she's um, definitely going to be in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. been set photos and stuff. She's like the link between all of, among all of the between all the, the universes. The, yeah, all the all the shows. Yeah. I really feel bad for that character. She just got tossed into this crazy world and <laughs> meeting all these kind of characters, treating in their wounds, intending that you know out of nowhere. You know, she's like the the voice of reason for everyone. I but, know. Um, yeah. Like that, so we need a character like that. So, but like the, that character is us. Like we're we're Claire. We're the ones that are thrown into this insane sort of situation and just happen to deal with what's going on. So I think that's that's who Claire is for me. Claire and Foggy, in a way, for me, are the audience. You know, the kind of way they're the normal people that are thrown into insane circumstances and that just have to deal with it. You know, that kind of way. So uh, I like that Claire's the link between them. I think she's really organic. She worked really well with Jessica Jones cast. So I think she's going to work just as well with Luke again and Luke Cage. So it should be interesting. It's in September, I think. 
Uh, uh, no, like yeah, 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 it is. It is. Yeah, Denver. The actor. I like that actor a lot. Um, yeah, Mike yeah. Coulter. Yeah. He's oh, Luke. Um, uh, yeah. Speaking of which, I actually just finished Agent Carter. Uh, the show just ended like two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's um. I like everybody knows. This, I judged. I prejudged the show a lot before I started watching it, and I, I put it off for like over a year and a half. Because I didn't see the first season, and when the second season came out, I really didn't care. But uh, I started watching it because, um, you know, I heard a lot of good stuff about it, and I binge watched the first season, and I started the second season. It was just, um, it's one of those shows that you can't really take too seriously, but at the same time, it's it, it, it's a good kind of like escape. You know, you want to just watch. You know, it has like humor and action, and it's, it's definitely very different from shows like Daredevils and um, Jessica Jones because it's it has this lighthearted. Yeah. You know, humor to it just because because it takes place in the fifties, and um, so yeah, this Agent Carter it may or may not get picked up for a third season, which you know I hope I hope it does, but you know if it doesn't, it does. then yeah, I'm a fan yeah. of Agent Carter. I have to say, I think um, Haley Atwell is just great as Peggy. You know, she really is fantastic, and um, yeah. a lot of it, I think, a lot of what kind of turned people off, and I think was a lot that you know it is based in the forties and. You know, we're not going to have the crazy sort of, you know, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. versus HYDRA, you know, because it's all just beginning at that time period. And yeah, way, it's all very new. That, uh, yeah, and I think yeah. that's what turned a lot of people off it, you know, that kind of way, because they were like, oh, you know, we're only seeing the start of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, S.H.I.E.L.D. hasn't become a so thing. How should I care? That kind of thing, yeah. Exactly. But, you know, when you think about it in broader terms, like, Agent Carter is one of the founding members of S.H.I.E.L.D., so it's very important that you kind of see how this started, you know, between her and Howard Stark and Jarvis. Like, they were all, you know, imperative to this huge organization that we all know now. You know, that kind of way. So that's what intrigues me about it. And the fact that I think the cast are great. I think they did really well in season two. I think it may have been a little bit anticlimactic um, at the end. You know, just, again, no spoilers or anything, but just I, it wasn't as sort of compelling to me as the first season was, but I still think they did a fantastic job and I really hope they get a season three. Yeah. Definitely. Um, the, and... the, the ending was kind of just like, it wasn't, there wasn't all that much tension going on. It was kind of, kind of lame, honestly. Yeah. But overall, that season was pretty good and it's, it's kind of a shame. I mean, like that, that, you know, there's not so much funding or good ratings for, for season three because, I mean, it needs to be completed fully. It kind of, yeah. kind of puts the entire universe in full circle. And especially, yeah, she, you know... Yeah, she should help. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, Kevin, you go ahead. You go ahead. Uh, I was just going going, uh, going off what he said. Um, they should at least let her start S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, to basically kind of like, oh, yeah, this is the start of everything that we know so far. Yeah, instead of how they start everything you know, else. Yeah. yeah. But maybe, I don't know, let's, uh, yeah. you never know, like, especially because it's one of those things where, you know, it may, it may even move to net or it may even move to Netflix or whatever. What is it on now? Is it on what? ABC. It's ABC, yeah, that's the same show, the same channel as uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well, isn't it? The same, the same company? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. placement, yeah, for Agents of, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, 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 yeah. sorry, I'm... Not super familiar with you, your guys' uh, way of TV. But anyway, um, yeah, that's like that's what it is. It's it's kind of, it is very much a bridge between shows. You know, it's a bridge between, you know, what's been happening, you know, in present day 
and how it kind of all led up to that. So for it to be cancelled now would be such a shame, especially with things like Civil War coming up and, you know, the the third Avengers movie and all, with those huge films coming up, it would be a shame to have this little link to just disappear, you know, that kind of way. So hopefully, hopefully they get a third season. And it did end on a little bit of a cliffhanger as well with one particular character, so not one that I particularly care about, but you know what I mean? It's just... Yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the next show that I've been watching is, I talked about it last time, is The American, which is based the... The, the show on FX about the uh, the Russian spies in the 1980s. Um, it's it's pretty it's a pretty intense show um, that I've been keeping up. It's very dark and howling, but I feel like that's you need dark and howling sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but it's a show about uh, like two Russian spies posing as American suburban couple uh, during the Reagan administration during the Cold War. So there's a lot of tension and um, back and forth. But it's also but it's also a drama. And uh, it's a drama about like a family and like a like a marriage, how you you know secrets and deceptions, sort of like yeah everything. So it's it's a pretty intense show that um it takes a lot to it and it's pretty slow, but um that's something that I guess I'm I've been trying I I've been craving I've been craving for a show that's kind of slow burn and you know and I think American is definitely that kind of show. Um, but the show that I really want to talk about is actually Fresh Off the Boat. Um, oh, this is, yeah. um, actually something that I've been, again, putting off, um, I've been binge-watching the first season, because the show is currently on the second season, um, the story centers around, basically, the Huan family, it's like a Chinese family, and it takes place in the 90s, mm-hmm. and, uh, which is pretty cool, because, um, it has that kind of, like, everybody hates Chris kind of vibe to it, because, um, everything's kind of in a flashback, and you have this, like, grown-up character talking about events that took place when he was little. You know, so our main character is a 12-year-old Asian-American called Eddie. Um, he lives with his two brothers, Emery and some something else. Emery and Evan, I want to say. And their immigrant parents are, are Louis and Jessica, which are super funny. And Eddie's weird grandma only speaks Mandarin and has many kind of odd habits. Um, I've been hearing great things about the show. Um, that's what, uh, from my Asian and non-Asian friends, like, since it debuted on ABC last year. But, uh, like I said, I've been putting it off watching it because I was afraid that they would portray Asian Americans in kind of a stereotypical way that, that would come across as offensive, you know, because it's very easy to, when you, when you want, when you do a show that's about immigrants, you know, Asian immigrants, but, you know, thankfully, I think the show, while the show has many, like, stereotypical moments, the, the smart kind of dialogues and the hilarious situations and the painfully accurate depictions of Asian-American households sort of made the show, it, it, it just made the show. You know, it's funny, it's lighthearted, but it sends a great message. And also because, you know, the show takes place in 1995, there's a lot of uh, pop culture references, like the O.J. Simpson trial that the, the grandmas were watching in one episode, and the main character, Eddie, being this huge and notorious B.I.G. and N.W.A. fan, and uh, the huge, like, you know, the diatone internet that takes forever to connect back in the 90s. And, yeah, just the whole American outlook in general, you know, uh, it's a very reminiscent, like I said, about the show Everybody Hates Chris, but with Asian leads, which I'm very happy about, because I'm glad that Asian Americans are being represented in media more. You know, this is actually the first show with an all-Asian cast since, I think, 1995. And it really speaks volume to kind of, like, our social atmosphere and, like, culture diversity. I'm just very happy the show is doing well. So, yeah, that's, like, the big show that I've been... That's not really a big show, but it's the show that I've been following right now. Because, you know... Especially since we're, we're talking about, like, uh, we're going to be discussing, like, um, like diversity media. I feel like this is... 
I'm just using it as an example, you know. Um, shows that uh, Andrea, what have you been watching? Um, well, I'm not exactly doing these, and I'm not caught up on the most current seasons of all of them. But right now, have you guys ever seen Shameless? Oh, I love Shameless. No. Yeah, that show is probably I've I've just now caught back up with that because I'd seen the first you know two or so seasons years ago and now I've rediscovered it and I think that the what that show does it's about a poor family that lives in on the south side of Chicago and um, you have a lot of great interpersonal relationships going on there and it's just really good social commentary on top of it. Yeah. Um, about how how some people have to kind of get ahead if they had a a worse start out on life, but yeah, also amazing music in that show. I will say. Oh um, yeah, the music choices are great. I've found a bunch of like new bands and stuff all because of it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Have you ever seen I, the original? No, I have the, not. The UK version of it, because uh, I grew up personally. I grew up watching the UK version because the UK version was out going back about 12 years ago like I was really young when it when it first started out and uh, absolutely fantastic and it's the same dynamic the same characters Fiona you know Frank Gallagher uh, you know Ian you know Mickey all, all those people they're all you know you know in England and they're all in a very poor part of England and they're growing up and it's the same sort of social commentary and how like how society deals with kind of, you know, um, people from poorer backgrounds and stuff like that and how they're treated and the kind of um, challenges that they have and everything. So that that kind of dynamic transcends countries between, you know, England and America. But um, the kind of way that they've taken the characters between the two are very different. Like Frank Gallagher in, um, in the American version, I think... He can kind of be a little bit more likable, believe it or not, than the UK version of him. And the UK version of him is the definition of shameless. He really is like. Um, so there are kind of moments in it where they do diverge a little bit from the original, from the original kind of content. Um, but it's still like I much I actually do. It's one of the cases where I prefer the American version over the original. So I really do. I prefer the US version of of um, Shameless. See, I didn't know there was the UK version first. I'll have to check it out. I don't know what's up with us stealing, you know, social type drama shows from you guys, like we did with Skins. Um, (laughs) But that was just such a horrible train wreck. Yeah, that was a train wreck. Um, I don't think you guys are ready. (laughs) Yeah, I think you know. uh, The UK version, I still, I do love. I stand by that um, because it was just very. Poignant, really, yeah, is how I describe that show. It yeah. captured a lot of what growing up is like. Um, yeah, definitely. Which was great. And then it, it did well to tackle issues that, you know, puberty gives you, but not in really corny ways. Yeah. It it was very unique storytelling. Um, yeah, oh, I'll have to check was, out the YouTube yeah, version of Shameless. I don't know if you know this about Skins, but it was written primarily by very young people. Like Skins, the oldest person I think you wrote for Skins was the creator, who was only in his early 30s. Like the majority of Skins was written by, you know, kind of late teenagers, early 20 year olds, you know, which I thought was great as well, because it added another layer of kind of realism because they were living this life 
very recently you know that kind of way and obviously there were some parts of skins that were a bit you know ridiculous or a bit kind of unrealistic because that's television you know what i mean it can't be very true yeah yeah, it can't be 100 percent realistic but i will say that even for the you know especially for the first couple of seasons they tackled such social issues incredibly well things like racism homophobia sexism you know stuff like that they tackled it so well and so in a way that it is not you know preachy they just they just they tackle it and that's how it is that's you know that's life as we know it from our perspective here you go you either like it or you hate it i don't really care either way and i liked that about skins they were just kind of they didn't give a shit they just they put out what they wanted and it stuck or it didn't you know and uh, and i think that's like i think that's what the american version of shameless does incredibly well you know they, they that's true yeah they show this completely unfiltered un kind of you know you know uh what's the word i'm looking for <laughs> ah my brain's blanking sorry but no yeah completely unfiltered completely sort of gritty um outlook on life in chicago and obviously i've never been to chicago i don't know myself but i can say that you know it does transcend across the countries they do deal with those issues incredibly well regardless of it being in america or in the uk but i definitely recommend you check out at least the first few seasons of the uk version yeah and there was a very telling moment with the show when, uh, you remember when Fiona was trying her hand at doing the whole um, hosting club nights, and yeah. uh, she's trying to figure out how to make a profit with it, and then Lip, who I think is a fantastic character, I, oh, yeah. I love him, he's probably my favorite, um, he is, you know, promising to all these, you know, hipster kids, like, come here, there's a there's a big concert, and is charging them outrageous, you know, valet prices. And she comes out, and she's like, you're lying to these kids to get their money? He's like, this is what we have to do to get ahead. How are you not getting through this? Yeah. And I thought that was a very, that kind of summed up even the whole mentality of the show. That's it, in exactly, one conversation. Yeah. And, 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 and that they do such great, poignant things in such small moments. That's what I like about it as mm-hmm. well. The, the writing is so, like, don't get me, don't get me wrong. It made me completely balls to the wall crazy sometimes. But mm-hmm. they can do such, such great things with such little moments between characters. You know, every character in the show has a great dynamic with every other character. There's like, you know, people like you know Mickey and Ian, and then Mickey with you know, uh, you know, people like Lip or Fiona or you know, um, Mandy and people like that, you know, all these people that kind of come together in these circumstances may not even like each other very much to begin with, but they're thrown together and they deal with it the best they can. And I think the, the dynamic between them is great. The acting is amazing. I really can't fault it at all. Yeah, it's really good. And they've had a very strong current season right now. I mean... I have to catch up still. I haven't seen the, the, the season just gone. I haven't seen it yet, but um, I've heard I've heard good things and bad things, so I, I'm not really sure. I'll reserve judgment until I see it myself. <laughs> All right. Um, well, are you guys ready to move on? Sure, yeah. Yeah, sure. All right. All right. Well, on to our last topic of the day. We'll be discussing something about uh, something controversial. Well, you know, Hollywood and TV productions are casting decisions. They often change the racial makeup or gender of the characters. To what extent do we agree or disagree with those decisions? Uh, should a live action adaptation of a work change the physical representation of a character, or should it strictly, you know, adhere to the source material? And uh, you, you often see that. I mean, well, you know, often more recent outrage with like whatever gods of Egypt or casting white, mainly white people to play Egyptian, you know, pharaohs or rulers. Or you have, um, let's see, 
I mean, even in a Netflix series, like these are like small. These are just changes that like, people don't really say anything about it, unless it unless it's some sort of major like protagonist character. I, I think it's like no one cared that Ben Neurick was black in Daredevil. No one cared that um, Jerry Hogarth was a man. It's a woman instead of a man because yeah. she's actually a character's a man in the comics, and um, you know. Even going back I think as far as it works so that. well with her as a woman, though it really I does. Yeah, really thought that was a cool dynamic they had set up. How you have two very powerful women operating at different ends of the spectrum, though, and there's some ways in which they respect each other, but also, you know, I mean, towards the end, especially they they're working, you know, at different ends. But I thought that was a very cool dynamic they had. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Carrie Ann Moss. Is great. She was amazing. I haven't seen oh, her forever. Is. I have not seen her since fucking Matrix. And then <laughs> I see her now. I was like, wow, she still has it. Um, oh, really intense yeah. role. She really is. She's really great. And I think a lot of it, I think, has to do with, um, you know, obviously there's there's a really negative side to it, like whitewashing and things that have been around since the dawn of cinema. Like, you know, it's insane. Mm-hmm. You have things like, you know, Laurence Olivier playing Othello or John Wayne playing Genghis Khan, or, you know, right up to Ben Affleck playing Tony Mendez in Argo, or, like, Johnny Depp in The Lone Ranger. You know what I mean? It just, it goes on yeah. and on. You know, Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan in Star Trek. Everyone in Avatar, The Last Airbender. You know what I mean? Just all, yeah. all this kind of whitewashing bullshit that really should not be done. Like, taking, you know, characters, uh, non-white characters and making them white, you know, it really, it shouldn't be done. It shouldn't be allowed, but it is. You know, that kind of way. but And yet people, you know, I think the reason why people don't, you know, kind of get mad when a character, you know, that's been white or that's been female or male and they change it is because you don't see it very often. You really don't. Like, it's, it, you know, it's it doesn't happen that much anymore. And it's happening more and more now, I think, because we have a lot of, you know, white male characters. You know what I mean? So why not mix it up a little bit? You know, it's like it's like Kevin was saying. There's such little kind of diversity shown on TV now. You know what I mean? It's very you know few and far between. So they're definitely they need to open up a little bit even. You know, which shows like um, it's is it fresh off the boat, Kevin? Is that the one you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that's it's, it's needed. You know. It's yeah. It's just crazy. Like crazy to think about how people are. Um the whole whitewashing thing. I think the sad truth is that people are so comfortable with the idea of Caucasian actors taking over characters of different ethnicity, you know, diverse uh, characters that they don't question it. You know, for them, it's for, for, you know, for, I guess the mainstream media, everyone, it's normal because it has been done, like you said, since, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's, that white guy playing the Japanese dude. You know, like it has, yeah, it's been done for so many years. And since, like you said, down in the cinema, the people are getting very desensitized to the idea of this kind of practice. So when, 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 whenever someone actually speaks out about it, people are like, oh, well, what's the big deal? You know, why are you overreacting? Why are you being oversensitive? But yeah. it really is an issue that has been blowing out of proportion in recent years. And I think, I guess, 20, 20, it's, what, it's 2016 now, yeah. It's, we, maybe we should kind of start addressing that questions more directly and start making more smart casting choices yeah. because um, movies like Gods of Egypt probably would have been, people would probably give it a pass, um, say, five years ago. You know what I'm saying? But, like, um, we're living in a very, like, dynamic like, a, a time where, like, especially today, where, like, um, 
any sort of like protest or a campaign or you know everything gets captured and put on the internet and that changes people's mindset almost like daily you know people learn something new every day yeah. and you can't just really have you, you paint you, you can't just really you, you know employ the same technique you can't just you know stick with what's been accepted you know in the past um and sort of like expect people to go go along with it you know for however however many years to come so i think um now is now is the time to really address this question um yeah it goes just beyond beyond you know, um just movies and tv shows like the whole thing with oscar the the oscars the not the ceremony <laughs> with three asian kids you know all kinds of all, all kinds of things are revolve around kind of like a more diverse like correctly portrays the um the diversity of this country which i think it's what this country is known for, you know, the country should be proud of its diversity, not to try to, you know, over like, whitewash it, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. even, yeah, it's been okay, like, people are, a few have been okay with it, more or less, um, um, up until, I guess, recently, and I think now is the time to really speak up, um, about, about, about the situation, you know? Oh, definitely, yeah, and, and like I've noticed that when the shoe is on the other foot, when they want to change a character who was traditionally white into another ethnicity, like uh, the thing that comes to mind when they cast um, a black actress to play Hermione in the Cursed Child, the Harry Potter play, people went absolutely. Oh, they did that. Yeah, they went absolutely mad. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I'm just kind of like. Oh, hell broke loose. Yeah. All hell really broke loose. Yeah, and I was like, hang on, yeah. where? Where was all your kind of, you know, crazy anger when you have, like, Elizabeth Taylor playing Cleopatra? And Cleopatra. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, what, like where, yeah. where where was that anger, that fury, when you have, like, uh, Nikolai uh, Kosterwalda, or whatever his name is, uh, playing, yeah. you know, it's based in Egypt, and it's all white actors. Like, what? The whitest fucker I've ever have seen in my life. Have you been right? to Egypt? Like, Everyone's white. Like, well, wait, what? to be fair, though, the whole Elizabeth Taylor thing, because people don't realize Cleopatra was Greek. Her whole family was the Ptolemies, and they were they were Greek in people. Greeks you can go over... white, though? They're pretty, like, tannish, kind of dark-skinned, yeah, you know? Mean, yeah, I mean... Like, I, the Greeks I, I know. Greek people are definitely ruled as Caucasian. They, they would be, I don't... yeah, I suppose they would be seen. All the Greek people I've met are not very light-skinned. Yeah, I, I mean, they're tan, but... Yeah. No, no, I understand. I know what you mean. Yeah, no, that's true. But um, but definitely, like, that's there's definitely other, you know, like I said, Laurence Olivier playing Othello and stuff like that, you know. Um, there, yeah, it's been going on for, for decades and decades and decades. It's definitely not a new occurrence at all. It just shouldn't still be happening in 2016. Like, it really shouldn't. Yeah, yeah I remember there's a, um, there's a campaign against the movie Creed because they're saying they're tarnishing our great American legacy of Rocky movies by having... Rocky being black, and I was just staring at the article saying, "Well, first off, he's not playing Rocky. You know, he's playing yeah. uh, Apollo Creed's son, which Rocky's is in the, the fucking the movie. Yeah, the, the, the character, the character in the original movie, his father is black, and Rocky is still in the movie. Yeah. This, this is this is this is not a Rocky story. This is you know another person's story with Rocky in it. And but I remember in it, I just went bananas. I, I was looking, I was, because I was me and my friends was going to see Creed, yeah. and they're just saying petition Creed is not black." Yeah. And I was just looking at it, and I was like, oh, okay. And it's the this same, it's the same with, um, sorry, sorry, it's the same with, um, with, um, Star, with Star Wars, when they had, yeah. when they announced that, um, you know, Finn 
was going to be a stormtrooper and stuff like that, people went absolutely insane. And I'm like, hang on, stormtroopers hardly ever take off their helmets anyway. So I mean, how they do never you, take off how, their helmets? How do you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. Until now, they they've never taken off their helmet. You yeah. know, what I'm, you know. And I'm just like, well, what fucking difference does it make? What difference does it make? I mean, Jesus, he's a great actor. It has nothing. Like, why are you making such a big deal out of this? And you know for a fact that if he was portrayed by a white guy, nobody would have said anything. You know? It's fucking insane. But that's just how, it, like, people are just, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from, but it's fucking messed up. It's I mean, it just... comes from the fact that America is incredibly racist. Well, and yeah. They, want, they, want, they, don't, they don't want to admit it. They fucking I didn't, Yeah, are. I didn't want to be is. like, oh, yeah. you, got, you know, I didn't want to be. No, we really are. And yeah. they love to try to bullshit their way out of it. Like, oh, we're not being racist we're just we just want to you know have equal representation we wanted to stick to the source to blah 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 but you know if you can tell your actions speak louder than your words you know yeah, like yeah. you said the outrage and what you show the selective outrage and what you show speaks volumes to how really racist you really are and, and yeah it. yeah i mean it was the same with lucy lou playing you know joan watson in in elementary like she elementary was, yeah. yeah not not only was she you know was her her gender changed her race was as well and a lot of people were open arms about that you know and um i was just like why like that this is a story that's 200 odd years old like why not mix it up a little bit what's the harm in it, you know? See, that's the thing. They could uh, completely get behind that it was in modern times in yeah. a completely different setting. But oh no, it's an Asian <laughs> woman instead of a white guy. <laughs> yeah. Let's do goddamn Asians. How right dare about. they? I know. It's absolutely mad. Like it really is, and that's it. Like they they don't have any leg to stand on. Really, they, uh, you know, that's their only argument. Like oh, she's a woman and she's Asian. Oh no no no. Like we can't have that. Like but hang on, there, Sherlock already exists. That the British Sherlock exists. And that's in modern times, but you're okay with with that because they're both white dudes. Like, is that is that literally your argument? You know that kind of way. So, yeah, you're you're right. It it does a lot of it comes down to just blatant racism, which you know sucks. But that's yeah. The most recent example that I personally experienced with was the the casting of Finn Jones to be Iron Fist. Finn Jones, if you guys remember, yes. he plays Dolores Tyrell in Game of Thrones. Yeah, very um, white guy. Good, good on him. I mean, I'm proud of him. He's, he got the role. I'm sure he'll be great because Marvel never gets their casting wrong. I have oh, yet to see course. a casting go wrong with Marvel, um, so I'll be... I'm glad. I met but, him at Comic-Con. You did? In Dublin oh. Comic-Con, yeah. He's really cool. He's nice. You know, he's, yeah. he's a good guy. Very British, yeah. Yeah. I've watched yeah. some interviews with him. He's a cool dude. So I think he'll be fine. Don't get me wrong. But there was, before this happened, the, the casting of Iron Fist was the biggest mystery left in the Netflix universe. And a lot of people, including myself, were pushing to have a, a an Asian-American jump into role as Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Because we felt that in you know a more modern take on Daniel Rand would have made more sense to have him as someone who is either half Asian or you know Asian-American yeah, to an extent. Yeah. Because it makes more sense in the context of his origin story. Because he was his... People only look at this character at face value. Oh, he's a white guy, so he should be white. So no one seems to think about, okay, where does this character come from? He comes from like the 1970s in which his character was literally just a, a comic book representation of all the Asian uh, kung fu karate stereotypes, yeah. but personified into a white guy. Yeah. And and we talk about cultural appropriation like, you know, like all the time to the point where it gets you know beaten to death and not taken seriously, but... I've never seen such a clear-cut example of cultural appropriation or the white savior complex ever that I have in an Iron Fist story. Yeah. It's like, 
Hi, I'm a rich white guy. My rich white guy dad takes his entire family to go to like the Himalayas or some shit. Mm. Um, which again, that makes no sense. Why would you take your family to the most coldest, most dangerous region in the world, or whatever? And we, uh, his parents get killed. He finds a secret uh, temple full of you know Asian monks and kung fu and shit. They teach him their ways. He becomes their champion after he kills a dragon, gains the power of the Iron Fist. And yeah, it's the white guy who has no relation at all to his, to his indigenous land learns their skills, becomes better than they are at their at their own skills, and is now the champion of that set, set culture. And that's the sort of thing, as you said, like, since the beginning of time, we've had whitewashing of of different cultures, of Native Americans mo- most notably. Oh, definitely. And, uh, yeah. yeah, like Dances with Wolves. The Lone Ranger. Yeah. yeah, people love Dances with Wolves. You know, won a lot of Oscars, but that entire thing is a white savior complex. Kevin Costner oh, yeah. comes Indiana into the, Jones. The, I mean, things yeah. like that. You know, it's insane. It's the Last Samurai. Yeah. yeah, The Last Samurai. Yeah, the, I mean, like the, a movie called The Last Samurai, starring a white guy. You yeah. know, <laughs> and that—that's the sort of thing. It's exactly what that is. The Iron Fist. Now, I mean, I mean, when the cast Finn Jones, I mean, I was disappointed, but. I wasn't going to give the guy shit about it. It's fine. Mm. You know, I think that would be a good job. I just think it was a, an enormous missed opportunity. That yeah. when Marvel could have done something amazing and different and more relatable. Um, but it's yeah, so whatever. But the, where, where the racism part comes in is the, 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 the fucking so-called diehard fans. The fan reaction, the yeah. Character. Yeah. Who, who yeah. say, oh, you're dumb if you want an Asian person in there. It's just a stereotypical role for an Asian guy. Number one, you're not fucking Asian. Don't tell me how it feels to be an Asian. Yeah. Uh, number two... Um, so you're saying it's okay, it's stereotypical and bad and, and offensive for Asians to pick up a role in which he he's in, he's championing his own cult, his own culture and his own martial arts, but it's not it's completely okay for a white guy to just basically invade that culture and be you know basically saying I'm better than you at, your, at what you do. Yeah. So the, the the message that what they're trying to tell me is retarded and the immense sort of like hostile like reaction, you know, it it goes from saying oh you know. I'm disappointed about this, but I'm okay. And then people are saying like, "Oh, like, well, it's the whole your whole uh, your whole opinion, stupid." And like, you don't matter. Basically, was what the message I was getting from that. And it, you know, and I just hate having to constantly explain myself to people who just don't get it. You know, not to generalize and have people. It's always it's it's almost always a white guy, you oh, know, yeah. who has to <laughs> be very bigoted. You know, and I have to basically explain it to him in like the most basic of terms. Of why we wanted this to happen and why we we were we were uncomfortable about it because like well it it goes to it, you know it goes to show just like a lot of people just you know they don't get it and when they don't get something and then when they're, when they're like oh this doesn't happen to me so therefore it, it must not exist they're basically. very dismissive like, towards it yeah yeah it's like oh yeah, yeah because it doesn't affect that right yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah that's I know it's not it's not the same thing or whatever but I am. Um, I, I'm disabled myself and I, I you know I have a physical disability and watching things you know like Daredevil and um, with somebody who has a disability like that and have them be portrayed well is very very important like representation matters you know having you know having a character like it, you know when it happened to, to Oracle in the comic books where she was in a wheelchair and then suddenly she was fixed again and stuff like that yeah. like things like that are very damaging to to somebody somebody like you know somebody who who relates to a character like that so whether it's gender or race or, or disability or sexuality or anything like that when you have somebody who you you're finally like yay representation and then just have it go in a completely wrong way or it just not
not portrayed well at all is very very damaging or like in your in your case where there's just no representation there's a severe lack of you know asian 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 characters in tv shows or movies or anything like that it's very damaging to not have them on screen but also to have them on screen portrayed either as stereotypes or something harmful you know something that's not accurate you know that kind of way and it just they don't realize how damaging a portrayal like that can be you know yeah because it's very easy to go with the stereotypical you know even if you're get you know even if you're you know you're uh, the something that you represent gets portrayed on in on TV and media. Uh, it's very easy for them to go with a stereotypical way, you know, to go with what's easy, you know. So, and yeah. sometimes that can be very um, jarring to see how. Oh, finally, there's a chance to represent, you know, the certain the, the group that I that I belong, and all of a sudden, you see it represented in a way that that's you know that that people assume, you know, that people from outside a group assume is, you know, it's what's happening, but you know that it's not. So it can be even worse than, you know, might as well just not go there in the first place. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, if you want to do it, if you want to touch that, because for a lot of people, it's a very um, touchy, like, subject. Um, if you want to go there, you have to, like, go, you know, with 100%. You shouldn't be doing it kind of, like, with a kind of, like, an attitude. You, you shouldn't really be adding diversity or any of any kind to your project for the sake of them being there, you yeah, know. You can't have so, lost it exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you just there's there's no going around that. And and for me, that's just you know I recently I, I got bored um, on Wednesday, so I started watching. There's a new um I don't I don't usually watch a uh, police procedure show anymore, but um there's this show called um they they made a new spinoff of Criminal Minds called uh, Criminal Minds Like Beyond Borders, which is is basically a bunch of new characters um, from the FBI team. They started investing. Their job is to inv- they basically do the same thing as the people in the criminal minds like the FBI, but they invest um, crimes that takes place outside of the U.S. And the very first episode, it goes to Thailand, and the way they portrayed everything and the serial killer that um, the, um, in that first episode is the most stereotypically all evil religious like worshiping all like kind of like white version of what Thailand religious Thailand people you know white people you would be like you know they yeah the villain was literally like a crazy psychopath and it really shows just how uh, just this lack of understanding you know what I'm saying like that exists between like um like America like the white population if they're in charge of the show like yeah. for any it's just you know, anything that that's non-white gets treated in a way that's very offensively stereotypical. Like, you know, the villain from L- London has fallen. You know, the Middle Eastern guy, the like, stereotypical mid- Middle Eastern guy from the new uh, Joy Butler movie, London has fallen. A lot of people had uh, give that movie shit about just treating the Middle Eastern as a stereotypical, like, bad guy. Yeah. You know, like, kind of from, from this new episode from Criminal Minds, it just, it's very... It's very, you know, it's unethical like, for me to, from, 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 for, for us to see this in 2016 because, you know, everything doesn't need to be treated as black and white, you know, as they are now. So if you're going to represent something, you got to do it accurately. Otherwise, just not do it at all. Exactly. Yeah. There's no point in just, you know, using half measures or being half-assed about it. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it right, you know. Um, and I, unfortunately, yeah. I just don't think people give a shit enough i mean I, these people are in this job and they're like yeah we're writing a tv show but they don't they don't care enough about the issues because they either can't understand it or they're unwilling to or you know because I, I mean sometimes basic fact checking is all you need to do you know that kind of way yeah. <laughs> are we correct in in saying that this is right culturally speaking 
oh no, we won't bother fact-checking that or anything. Why bother doing that? Why not, you know, consult anyone? Like, they just, they don't give a shit, you know? They'll rather just get their show out there and, you know, have it be whatever, and that's fine, instead of actually taking the time and the money and the inclination to do it well, you know? And unfortunately, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we talk about... Um about that i mean and i've said it before and kevin knows as well because we watched masters of none but there's like an episode that covers diversity and how it, yeah and how minorities are portrayed on screen and i don't want to get too much into the show again but the how it ends is ends with a a producer who, who says a new producer she, she's like oh i'm all about diversity and aziz ansari is like yes awesome like i this is what i wanted we can have two indian americans on the show now and then and then she says one of them is going to be in the uh, Indian American, you know, born and raised here. And the other one's going to be his cousin from India, and it's going to be like a you know two worlds clashing. And then the the Indian guy is going to have a India, the cousin's going to have an, an Indian accent. And the whole show began with Aziz Ansari not wanting to do a stereotypical Indian role that has an accent because he speaks perfectly fine, yeah. not you know Americanized English or whatever. Yeah. And so what it what what it's basically highlighting is that even when people think they understand what diversity is they don't because they don't they've never once lived that culture and let to pretend they do mm. and that's right. kind of harmful when it comes to the writing process of something like that um, yeah i just love it when shows like take jab like actually being self-referential you know in a way i master none you know what i'm saying like it, it understands that that's what people do so it takes that and turns into something like almost like humorous you know what i'm saying like um it's just like very, it's because it, the show understands the fact that a lot of you know projects take like non-Indian actors and they give them like Indian accents and just yeah. sort of you know expect them to pass it. Like, yeah, and you know it's it's, it's close enough. He, he looks Indian. He has like an accent. There we go. Yeah. Here, here, yeah. first. You know, so for me, it's very it's very much the same. Um, there's one like inside joke, like referential joke on like um in um on Fresh of the Boats. Like I said, like the only other. Asian lead show before this one was in 1995 and uh, there was one episode where the mom who's hilariously stereotypical but in, like in a, you know, a funny way uh, he was telling his kids to study hard and not become an actor because the two kids were doing a school play and uh, the mom was telling him why would you want to why would you want to why would you guys want to be an actor uh, you guys you, you know you, you end up sleeping on the street no one's going to put two Asian kids on television and she says that in one episode yeah. to the just playing them you know that's it's true it's it's funny but it's also very accurate you know and then later in the episode they were watching a tv about that show in 1995 with asian with the whole with the all asian cast yeah. and one of the son um turns to um his mom and says so you're saying no asian americans on television huh it, there, there's a lot of like you know the kind of like very self-referential like jokes it's kind of sad that they have to like because it's so true you know yeah. um but at the same time, you know, it's it's very interesting to see how, you know, obviously, you know, if you're a mi- if you're a minority, you understand that that's what's happening, and if if you're turning that into something lighthearted and humorous, that's okay. But um, the, the 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 issue is still, you know, a large. There's still an issue here, and that's something that sh- hopefully will go away. But I don't think it will. It, it, it's going to take years. You know, it's it's a, it's a process. So I hope that. Shows like Master of None and Fresh of the Boats get represented, like more, get picked up more and more, you know, by you know studios and you know TV channels because you know we it's we really need those more you know more that diverse representation in TV and you know just media in general. Definitely, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I think we're making some, definitely making some headway now. Um, I'm glad that shows like Into the Badlands and and Fresh the Boat exist. You know, shows that you know, because Into the Badlands is a you know AMC action show that has a produced and starring Chinese Chinese American actor, and um, yeah, and it's cool. Like that show, just I think in the first episode alone breaks so many sort of. Stereotypes break so many, you know, kind of barriers and and taboos. Like the dude's girlfriend is a black woman, and, and Asian yeah. people do not like they hate interracial relationships. A lot the conservative Asian uh, people, it, uh, so that by itself, like wow, like they're totally like not you know stepping into the, the you know the same mold, yeah. which is really right. interesting to watch. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think we're making some headway, but. It's just more. I mean, just for me personally, it's just kind of irritating. As if you're a comic book, if you're an Asian American and you're a comic book, you know, fan, there is zero major actual like characters that people really care about that are actually you know for the most part Asian. Like I think the most we get are is like what Jubilee. Who goes a fuck about Jubilee? Psylocke. <laughs> I guess Psylocke's pretty cool. Um, and this is of course I'm not counting the villains who are Asian because there's plenty of those. Oh yeah, uh, plenty. Uh, they, whenever you bring up the conversation of Iron Fist and you want them to be Asian, people, fans automatically jump, oh, but there's Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi is this Chinese guy who's basically a Bruce Lee ripoff. And I'm looking at them like, you're going to, you spend all this time lecturing me about how if I wanted Iron Fist to be Asian, which again, Asian American, that's the key word, American. It's not, it's diff- completely different just from just being Asian. Um, for you, you could lecture me how that would be stereotypical, but then you're going to bring up the most stereotypical representation of an Asian guy I've ever seen in my life. As some sort of fucking like you, like you're throwing me a bone, right? Look yeah. look at Shang Chi. Shang Chi is literally a Bruce Lee ripoff. There's like no real depth to his character. He's just like, oh, I'm the Chinese guy. I know kung fu, right? Whereas if you had made Iron Fist a conflicted guy who has an identity crisis between being embracing his roots and being an American, which is very much the reflection of Asian Americans today, like that's much more depth to it. It's not stereotypical at all. It's a reflection of what's going on now. And so, yeah, it's just that sort of shit. Like, they, they just kind of make these half-assed characters and expect you to just be content with it. Um, as of right now, Marvel is changing a lot of their characters. Amadeus Cho, who's this Korean-American kid, who's like a genius, they made, he is now the new Hulk, which I thought was a really strange concept. But, yeah, he's the new Hulk now. And he has full control of his abilities, and he's completely happy with being the Hulk. Cause it's a completely so opposite... Weird. Yeah, it's a completely yeah. opposite dynamic from Bruce Banner being Hulk. Because Bruce Banner, him being Hulk was like, you know, a curse. He hated it. He ruined his life. He became <laughs> a wanted man, et cetera, et cetera. He couldn't control it. Now it's a completely different sort of take on it. I mean, yeah. I guess, it, I guess it, it, it's definitely interesting and definitely unique. And so, I, like I mean, we'll see, see where that goes. I like to see when kind of they take chances like that. You know, I was really disappointed that they didn't give us Miles Morales for for the new casting of Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Like they had yeah. they had the opportunity there. You know what I mean? He could have been introduced in a new way. It would have been fresh. It would have been something we hadn't seen before. You know, because God knows we've we've had Tobey Maguire and we've had Andrew Garfield. You know what I mean? We've done the whole you know white Peter Parker bullshit. You know what I mean? They, they had a perfect kind of in where they're like okay we could introduce Miles Morales now and they just didn't and I was just like why you know like they, you yeah. had a great opportunity there and you just didn't take it you know that Miles kind of Morales was, so... had time to develop as a character as well he's yeah. been out for a while yeah and like so. that's what I'm saying you know and 
And it's just, it seems like they can, they have these opportunities and sometimes they just don't take them for whatever reason, you know. And I, then that Sony hack, you know, it came out and it said that Peter Parker had to be white, he had to be straight, he had to be... I remember that. Like the he fuck? couldn't, yeah, he couldn't swear any more than PG-13 or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's insane that we live in a, in a world where that actually is still... I mean, I don't know if you guys know what the Hayes production code is. But basically, it was a code that was implemented in the 1930s where um, basically anything that wasn't kind of seen as traditional values in film wasn't allowed to be shown. So you had like creators kind of uh, like directors creatively trying to work their way around kind of things like, you know, racism and, and homophobia and stuff in their in their really kind of 1940s, 1950s movies. You know, they had to try and think of a way of how to talk about these issues without breaking this rule. And it was right up until I think the 1970s they had it, you know, where if, if it was deemed not traditionally, you know, family values, it wasn't allowed to be in your film. Yet they could have violence and, you know, things like rape scenes and everything be in the film. And that's okay. But, you uh, you know, <laughs> God forbid if your character was shown to be gay or shown, you know, that falling in love with a black guy or whatever. God, no, you can't have that. That's insane. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what it reminds me of. I'm like, Jesus, are we going backwards? Like, is that is that literally what's happening now? Like, they're implementing these things like, oh, no, this character has to be white. He has to be straight. He has to be this. You know, that kind of way. So it is, it's very, it's worrying, I think, that we can possibly backslide. You know, hopefully not. You know, hopefully it'll keep progressing and moving forward. And, you know, we'll, we'll keep getting better representation, you know, racially, you know, speaking, sexually speaking, you know, uh, all the different orientations and stuff like that. But there is that kind of worry there that maybe we might backslide a little bit, depending on who's in charge, basically, who makes the decisions. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's yeah. what it all comes down to, and of course, money as well. What sells? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, most of these decisions come. I, I mean, like you said, there is sort of that people are just that they don't want to change. And then there's also the other element that the show, again, Master of None points out, is just the, the audience. You know, what makes money, as yeah. we, as they just said. Um, like, because in the show, they were like. Oh, we, the reason why they, they didn't want to have two Indian American actors because if you had more than one of a person of color, more than of the same per, you know same person of color in the show that's not white, then it becomes that show. So it's like yeah. if you have two black people, it becomes a black show. If you have two Indian people, it becomes an Indian show. Yeah. So yeah. they feel like they can't reach a wider audience, or something like that. Yeah, and that's it. Like yeah. a lot of a lot of things, is, it, it, it's the same for like if you have more than two gay characters. You know, that kind of way, mm -hmm. there's, you have the token gay character, you have the token black character, yeah, it's insane. Exactly. You know, that kind of way, and you're like, oh no, you can't possibly, because then it will become all about being gay, or all about being black, or, you know, and you're like, what? Like, I don't know about you, but my friends are a lot more diverse than what's on TV, you know, that kind of way. Like, the most unrealistic thing about friends was that, like, in ten years, they had, what, like, one black friend? And she was, yeah, like, it was insane. I was like, what? It's funny as shit. They live in oh, New York. Oh, yeah, that's true. They live in New York. Like, what? Like, I, it's absolutely, it blows my mind. It's actually, it's the it's the actress, um, she also presents um, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Or is it that, is it that show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Oh, God, I can't remember. She does, she, she, yeah, anyway, she presents some show. I think her name is Aisha Taylor or Tyler. Or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's oh, the voice yeah, actress she, of Lana yeah, and Archer. She, uh, yeah, exactly. She was Ross's girlfriend for a season. 
and I like literally she's the only person of colour apart from Julie who was also Ross's girlfriend she was um, Chinese I think Chinese American um, she yeah the only two people off the top of my head I can think of people of colour in Friends yeah. in 10 years the 90s the, the, yeah, the 90s is a, was a very <laughs> strange time where people were just okay with like you know the majority of everything you see on TV um, is being uh, being basically being white <laughs> you know like um and people are okay with that, you know, just, uh, no matter how incongruous, no matter how, you know, just illogical, yeah. you know, like, like you said, the Friends takes place what, in New York. Yeah. And um, they, they should be, you know, filled with, like, the diverse people of, like, different diversity, you know, different backgrounds. But um, obviously, people didn't really care enough, like, back in the 90s. Um, True, yeah. But uh, it, yeah, it doesn't mean that it, does, it wasn't people weren't aware this isn't this was an issue like um yeah. i grew up watching oh i didn't really grow up watching i i've seen a few seasons of boy meets world uh, because that show also takes place uh, took place in the 90s and mm-hmm. a huge thing that i did in the later season i think it was season five or season six was having one of the main characters who was white dating another main character who was who was black and mm-hmm. she was the, like the first she was like a black girlfriend to this guy and that was a huge issue. That was a huge thing. Like people went crazy because 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 it was unprecedented. You know, you have this um, the major like daytime sitcom having this like one main character, white character dating this black girl, which is which has never happened before. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and it just like and and, and make and make that black girl a a main character. That's like kind of an interracial like dating thing. It's almost like on like a. Like like on like a call that people don't speak of, you know, you you're not supposed to have you know interracial dating on mm-hmm. primetime television, but um but but they did that and it was a huge thing, it was a huge like uh achievement towards I don't know, like 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 I said, as weird as the the nineties were, it, you know, moves like this, like shows like Boy Meets World and and Friends, they really showed how diverse how the, the diversity can change like a show's dynamic and how yeah you know. Or have different showrunners have different mindsets, you know, regarding their, you know, the, their their products and their creative um, process. So I think it's really interesting to see that. Um, it's so it's not just something that's happening recently because a lot of people online are saying that why do we this wow this thing's really blowing up recently, but it really hasn't been. People have just been turning a blind eye to it, you know. Yeah, and they're just not anymore. You know, the majority of people are kind of waking up now. I think I mean like, oh no, this is actually a problem. Yeah. Boy Meets um, World was just a fantastic show to grow up with. It was, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, I'm jealous. We, I didn't have it growing up. I, I, I know of it, but I've, we never had it here. So I, I've only seen like clips of it on YouTube and stuff. But it seems like it was a really good show. They made a, spi- a spin off of it, didn't they? Girl, Girl Meets, Meets World. World? Yeah. yeah. It was terrible. It looks terrible. It looks terrible. Like it's just, like it's on Disney Channel. Like how can how how good can it be? Well, I'm not saying anything about Disney Channel, but... Like... I mean, Disney Channel kind of sucks. Well, let's just be real. Yeah. Um, most of your shows are just fucking you know, cookie-cutter at best. Uh, they've, they've done a great job butchering all my favorite Marvel cartoon shows, for sure. Good God. Like, when... We, like, it went... We had, like... There was a Avengers cartoon show uh, called Earth Mightiest Heroes. It, it was pretty damn good. It was oh, like, I remember that. 
Yeah, it had really yeah. good writing. It it did a great job adapting all the comic books, major comic book story arcs. Great act, you know, great acting and stuff. And then well, c- coming um, the height of the success, the MCU with like after Avengers and after even beyond that, right? Um, they 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 canceled that show, revamped it completely with a more and better improved like animation style. It looked great, but. Um, it's the it's called Avengers Assemble, and then it's just so bad. Like they don't even. There's no attempt to really dabble to any sort of mature territory. Uh, it the problem with Disney's adaptations of like Marvel now is that in the, beyond not the movies themselves, outside of movies is that, and outside TV shows, uh, the cartoon stuff. They they try way too hard to stick to what they show on the movies. So like all the Avengers look just like the Avengers in the movies. They don't okay. look like their comic book counterparts at all. Oh, okay. They're not unique in the slightest. At one point, when they're promoting Avengers Assembles, they're using the exact same lines from the Avengers oh. uh, first Avengers film. That's just lazy. Promoting it. That's like, you guys are just lazy as shit. Like, seriously. <laughs> and then uh, they have a new Guardians of the Galaxy TV show, which, again, looks just like the Guardians of the Galaxy from James Gunn's movie. Yeah. And then right now they have, what, Ultimate Spider-Man? With Drake Bell from Drake and Josh voice acting him, oh, and I mean that's that's fine and all, but the the problem with this Spider Man is that it 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 takes almost no real notes from the comics. It takes something from the comics and then it proceeds to make him really stupid. Like Harry Osborn became Venom for some reason. Oh, um, I don't know why. Uh, the the way Flash Thompson is introduced as Venom is not well done at all. Which which, which again, it's actually more mature, and they don't bother doing anything mature. Like in the comics, he's an Iraq war vet who loses his legs, and then he's put into an experimental program where he becomes the new Venom. In this one, he's just a bully who just happens to find the Venom you know, symbiote, and it's just it's do. just lame. <laughs> yeah, it's just really kiddie stuff, and it I don't it doesn't do anyone any service. Um, but yeah, but. Um, sorry about that, going a little bit off topic. I um, I think that's covers everything. I'm not sure if you guys want to say anything else. Um, no, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think that's that's everything that I... Alright, great. Um, and that concludes this week's podcast. I'm Eric, and you can find me at dankkushlord.wordpress.com. Uh... <laughs> I haven't. I've made only one blog post so far, but I I do plan on updating it, and it'll be covering the the UFC 196 with uh, Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz fight. My thoughts on that. Um, and yeah, I've been joined by Lindsay, and you can find her at. Uh, you can find me at octoberobserver.tumblr.com. And our uh, guest Andrea, you can find her at. I'm at Gypsy Furiosa on Instagram. Oh, that, that's a clever name. Um, and you can find Kevin at... Uh, Kev, Kev Amador, A-M-A-D-O-R, at, on, on WordPress. I am a, I have a blog, that's my blog, and I write humorous articles, and I post um, monthly. Great. Um, be sure to give this podcast a thumbs up if you liked it. If you didn't, I don't know why you're still here. You can also contact us at, at the, our email address, podcast at nubis.com, if you have any questions or comments. Um, this has been a Nubis. Stay classy, you nerdy son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs>